Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. My name is Pastor Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life. And if you're here this morning, man, we're so glad that you decided to come out and join us, especially if you're a first-time guest. Man, New Life was created for you. We're glad to have you here. We prepared for you. We have been praying for you. And we're just so happy and honored that you decided to give us a chunk of your Sunday morning to just come here and and spend some time with us. Uh, This morning, we are in a two-week series. It's brief. It's between our Daniel series, which was 12 weeks long over this past summer, and the kickoff of our fall series for kind of the beginning of the ministry year coming up in September. Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting an all-new series here called Inside Out. And during Inside Out, we're going to be talking about emotions. We're also going to be talking about some of the tools that God gives us to help so that our emotions don't control our lives. And so if you have somebody in your life right now who is battling against depression or they're battling against anxiety or they're fighting against anger, maybe discontentment, um, I encourage you, invite them to come out and join us for the Inside Out series coming up in September. It'll start the the weekend of September 8th and 9th. Uh, It's going to be a really powerful series and uh, I think it'll be really helpful for a lot of people in our culture because we're all sort of battling against some of these emotions that try to take control of our lives. But that is not what we're talking about today. Today, we're in this two-week series about community. And this isn't just like, well, we need a couple of weeks, so let's talk about community. In fact, it's really intentional. Every September here at New Life, we kick off our small group season. And our small group season is not just like something that we do. Small groups are a major part of who we are. They're part of the DNA of our church. In fact, we believe that everybody needs to be in a life-changing community so much so that we say this, we believe that you cannot truly be part of the church without being in life-changing community. We believe you cannot truly be part of the church without being in life-changing. That's, okay, that's okay. Was it up there? Did I miss it? Nope. We believe you cannot truly be part of, there it is, without being in life-changing community, which is why small groups are so important to us here, and they're so much a part of who we are. And so this week and next, we're going to be taking some time talking about the importance of community. And today, I am specifically going to be talking about friendship. Because inside of community, we have friends, or we should have friends at least, otherwise it's not really a community. And so we're going to be looking at the life of a guy from the Bible named David. Now David takes up a lot of the word of God, but we're going to be looking at three specific relationships in his life. We're going to be drawing out what I'm calling three friendship profiles. And so that's what this series is called, this message is called Three Friendship Profiles from the Life of David. And we're going to be drawing these profiles from these different relationships in his life. And they're going to be things that we should have in our lives, friends that should be a part of our everyday life. But before we dive into David and all that, let's take a look at our take-home point. Our take-home point is the one point that we seek to make every week here at New Life. And this week it's this, we become who we hang out with. We become who we hang out with. Now, if this just like rings back to your teenagers, it's because I wrote this for teenagers. This message was originally written for teenagers. In fact, it was the six friendship profiles. But as I wrote it out at three friendship profiles, I was like at 10,000 words. And it was like, 
we can't be here for four hours, so we're going to do three instead of six, right? And so the three friendship profiles, but as I wrote it for teenagers and I, I gave it to our youth group, I spoke it to our youth group, I realized that teenagers aren't the only ones who struggle to make and keep godly, healthy friendships. In fact, adults across the board, all of us, struggle to develop and to maintain healthy, godly friendships. We all struggle with having friends, just people who would be close to us. And maybe this rings a bell because I heard this phrase, we become who we hang out with whenever I was a teenager, a young teenager. In fact, early middle school, I know that my mom began telling me this, and maybe you remember, your parents always worried that you would fall in with the wrong crowd. We don't want you falling in with the wrong crowd. I remember the first time my parents told me that I couldn't hang out with a couple of my friends, and that was really difficult for me because it's really hard for me to make friends. And so once I had friends, I certainly didn't want to just stop hanging out with those people. But my mother knew this really important principle. We become who we hang out with. The friends in our lives get a significant chunk of our time. And the people that we give time to end up having significant influence in our life. And if people are going to significantly influence our lives, then the friends that we choose matter. So let's take a look at the life of David, and let's look at those three friendship profiles. Before we do that, let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that you would make my words your words, that you would open our ears, help us to develop healthier friendships. In your name, amen. Okay, so like I said, David takes up a large portion of the Bible. He's an Old Testament character. Most of his stories in First and Second Samuel. In fact, he takes up a good chunk of First and Second Samuel. David is the most beloved and respected king in the history of Israel. He's the most powerful king in the history of Israel as well. David is the guy who slings the stone and kills Goliath. He's the guy who da- Jesus is in the line and the lineage of David. All the future kings of Israel are constantly being compared to David, and David wrote most of the book of Psalms. So our Bible, a large portion of it, is dedicated to the life and the writings and the sayings of King David. But we're going to start before all of that. We're going to start when we first meet David in the book of 1 Samuel. You see, at the time in the nation of Israel where David lived, there was a king named Saul. Now, he was the first king that the Israelites had ever had. They requested a king, and God sent a man named Samuel to go and anoint a king. And he anointed this man named Saul, who was head and shoulders taller than all of the other Israelites, a real kingly type of dude. But Saul wasn't a real godly type of dude, despite being a very kingly type of dude. And dude, he's dude too many times in that, in that phrase, right? There's like way too many dudes in there. Um, so anyway, so Saul disobeyed God, and he didn't live as God intended him to. So God rejected Saul's kingship, and instead he decided to give it to somebody else. So he came to Samuel and said, I want you to go to the house of this man named Jesse, who is David's father. And then I'm going to have you anoint one of his sons to be king. Now this would be pretty odd, because typically, kingship was handed down from father to son over generations with the exception of maybe there were no sons or maybe an assassination or a coup. But in this case, God has chosen to reject that rule and instead of appointing one of Saul's sons to be king, he's going to choose somebody new and somebody that nobody would have expected. So Samuel shows up at Jesse's house and he says, bring out your sons because I'm going to pour oil on their head, which evidently if someone pours oil on your head, you're going to be king. I, I don't, I, I'm not going to try to get into the 
theological implications that I don't really understand it, but this dude just walked around pouring oil on people and they became king. And so he has his flask of oil and he says, bring out your sons. And Jesse's oldest son comes out and he's a strapping young man. He's, he's an important fella. He's carrying his father's name into war, into important places. He's a good looking dude. And Samuel thought to himself, surely this is going to be the next king of Israel. He's kingly. But God says, this is not the guy that I've chosen. And so uh, Jesse presents his second son and, and that's where we're going to pick up in the book of First Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 10. It says in this, In the same way all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. So quick pause. This means that the youngest son was the least likely to be chosen. They didn't even expect, they didn't even consider him. They didn't even pull him in from the fields. He's just higher than his father's hired hands or servants or slaves, okay? So he's a son, but he's out in the fields. He'll get the least inheritance. He's the least important. He's not expected to carry his father's name anywhere. So then it says, send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down until he arrives, which is preposterous. How it's going to take forever for Samuel to or for David to get out of the fields. I'm if I'm one of Samuel's sons, I'm sitting down, right? I'm waiting, I'm chilling. But Samuel's like, nope, we're we're all going to stand. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Oh, that's a good good thing to know. And the Lord said, "This is the one. Anoint him." So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took a flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And Samuel returned to Ramah. Okay, so we're going to be looking at friendship profiles, which means I'm going to be naming some of these, and Samuel is going to be our first one. Then I'm going to give you some points, some things to help identify what this person might look like in your own life personally. So the first one is the seer. Samuel is the seer. Okay, so the first thing about the seer is they're usually older than you. Not always, but usually older. They see things in you that you cannot see in yourself. They bring things out in you that you cannot bring out alone. And the fourth is they give you courage to become who you were made to be. Let's go over those one more time. Usually older, sees things in you you can't see in yourself, brings, thing, bring, brings things out in you that you can't bring out alone, gives you courage to become who you were made to be. This is the seer. Samuel served as the seer for King David. He saw kingship in David when David could not, when David only saw a shepherd, right? He saw something in David that David did not see in himself. The anointing with oil and the Holy Spirit gave David the courage and the ability to become who he was created to be. So the seer is someone who's usually older than us. That's not necessarily always the case. People can serve as seers in our lives that are the same age as us or even younger than us. I've had seers in my life that were much older than me. I've also had seers in my life who were much younger than me. I've had like middle school boys who've been able to call things out in my life to see things in me that I couldn't see in myself. We need seers in our life because we have hidden issues and we also have gifts and abilities and talents that are deep within us that we may 
not be able to see ourselves, but somebody else may be able to look into our life and be able to give us guidance on how to draw those things out in us. They don't necessarily need to have been where we've been. That's usually more of a mentor, right? They've been where we're going, and so they're trying to help us get to where we're headed. That isn't necessarily the case for a seer, but they're able to look into us and see things in us that we cannot see in ourselves, and then they're able to help draw those things out in us in a way that we couldn't have done it on our own. And then they're going to be able to give us the courage and the encouragement, right, filling us with courage to be able to take the steps in faith that's necessary to become who God has created us to be, to live out our calling to the fullest extent. Because God has given each of us a unique task. He's given us something important to do in his kingdom, but we need people to pull out the gifts and abilities to accomplish those things and to encourage us, to give us the courage to be able to step out in faith and live those things out. And throughout my life, I've had many seers who've poured into me. I'm lucky in that way. The first one was probably my mother. My mother was able to look into me and where I saw worthlessness, my mother was able to call out meaning. My mother was able to call out calling. My mother was able to call out things in me that I wasn't able to see in myself at the time. There was a woman at a a church camp. I was in early high school. She called out my spiritual gifting for leadership. It wasn't something that I saw in myself, but when she said it, I began to live into it. I don't know the woman's name. I don't know her face. I will never forget her words. And so the seers in our lives can be momentary. They don't have to be long-term relationships. They may be somebody who comes into our life and can call out something in us, and we resound with that. We hear that, and we begin to live that out. Throughout, that, or in, it, throughout like, the rest of my life, I've had many youth pastors and pastors who served as seers in my life. Pastor Chris is one of those individuals, someone who's just met with me and seen things in me. They've given me the ability to lead people that I had no business leading, step out and do things that I was unprepared for, take steps in faith that I was scared to take. They've been able to call things out in me that I didn't see, pull things out that I couldn't pull out on my own, and been able to give me the courage to take the steps in faith necessary to become who God has made me to be. Guys, we need a seer in our life. And the younger you are, the easier this person is to find, realistically. The older you are, I imagine, the more difficult it becomes to find these people, but we need people who can draw these things out in us. The first profile is the seer. The second profile comes from a little bit later in David's life. So David kills Goliath. After killing Goliath, he kind of becomes a bit of a war hero because he helps defeat the Philistines. King Saul takes him into his household and begins to treat him like his own son. He becomes super, super tight with one of David's sons, Jonathan. Then David grows up, rises the ranks in the military in Israel. He becomes a general, and he begins leading Israel to incredible military victory. He's an insane tactician, just really, really great, has an incredible belief in God, and the Holy Spirit goes with him and leads Israel to great victory, so much so that the nation of Israel loves him. The whole nation, all the people love David. They even begin singing songs about him. The problem becomes whenever Saul, his king, becomes jealous and paranoid about the favor that David is receiving from the people of Israel. In fact, the relationships between Saul and David become so toxic at one point that Saul, sitting on his throne, picks up a spear as David is playing a harp and hurls it at him, intending to pin him to the wall and kill him. And as you're going to see, if you ever read the story about Saul, the man has a spear all the time. 
all the time. When he's asleep, he has a spear. He's pooping, he has a spear. When he's on the throne, he has a spear. When he's at dinner, he has a spear. The dude always has a spear. And as Alex, Pastor Alex pointed out to me, he's really inaccurate with it as well. I don't even, like, why? Why carry a weapon that you can't, you're not any good with? I don't know, maybe for show, I'm not sure. But he hurls a spear at him. So David goes into hiding and begins to hide from King Saul because he knows that his life is being threatened. So Jonathan, this son of Saul, is super close. In fact, there's this real strong bromance going on between David and Jonathan. If you want to find biblical evidence that it's good for two guys to have a really tight relationship and cry together, go read the stories about Jonathan and David because they are tight. Okay, And so Jonathan hears that David's in hiding and he goes and finds his best friend. He's like, there has to be a misunderstanding. My father loves you. There's no way he would kill you. So they come up with a plan. There's a festival coming up called the New Moon Festival in David would be expected to attend this several day long festival where they're going to be feasting and he'd be at the king's table with Saul and Jonathan. He's like, I'm not going to show up, but if your father is upset that I'm not there, if he's enraged, then it means he wants to kill me. But if he's not and he's perfectly cool with me not being there, then it's safe for me to return. And Jonathan agrees and they set up this arrangement of like bow and arrow and hiding in a field where they're going to send out a message. So literally David's going to hide in a field And then Jonathan is going to shoot arrows into that field. Now, if I'm going to be murdered by the king, the way I'm choosing to know if I am or am not going to be murdered is not hiding in a field and having you shoot arrows arbitrarily into the field that I'm hiding in. I'm not taking that risk. Not even like a, like, this is not, one time as a kid, I shot a bow and arrow directly into the sky. What a terrible idea. It was horrifying. You're like trying to like look and see where it is. You're trying to dodge it because you might die, right? So that's a bad message system. Send a pigeon, a child, anything but an arrow. Ridiculous, right? So they decide to do this. And so the New Moon Festival comes up. And we're going to read about it in the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 20, verse 24. It's a long passage. Stick with me, but it's a great story. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon festival began, the king sat down to eat. He sat at his usual place against the wall with Jonathan sitting opposite him and Abner beside him. But David's place was empty. Saul didn't say anything about it that day, for he said to himself, something must have made David ceremonially unclean. But when David's place was empty the next day, Saul asked Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse been here for the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan replied, you know, David earnestly asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. He said, please let me go for we are having a family sacrifice. My brother demanded that I be there. Obligations, obligations. So please let me get away and see my brothers. You know how family is. That's why he isn't here at the king's table. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You son of a whore, he swore at him. Now that is strong language, Saul. You're talking about your wife. And that came straight from the NLT. I didn't create that just so you know. He swore at him, do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? Now pause. Saul, who's shaming Jonathan's mother? Who's, who's really, you just called her a terrible name. Jeez, right? Okay, so as long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. So the writing's on the wall. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father, what has he done? Then Saul hurled a spear at Jonathan, once again, spear everywhere, but he's right across the table intending to kill him, misses, right across the table. So at last, I could even hit someone across the table. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. 
how, how do you figure that one out? Jonathan left the table in furious anger and refused to eat that second day of the festival, for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior toward David. Here we go. The next morning, as agreed, Jonathan went out into the field and took a young boy with him to gather his arrows. Start running, he told the boy, so you can find the arrows as I shoot him. That is a terrible job. That is not a good job to have, to be the child who has to run into the field as somebody is shooting arrows into the field. Terrible job. Better hope Jonathan's accurate. So the boy ran, and Jonathan shot an arrow beyond him, which is nice of him. When the boy had almost reached the arrow, Jonathan shouted, The arrow is still ahead of you. Hurry, hurry, don't wait. So the boy quickly gathered up the arrows and ran back to his master. He, of course, suspected nothing. Only Jonathan and David understood the signal. Then Jonathan gave his bow and arrows to the boy and told him to take them back to town. As soon as the boy had, was gone, David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of the bond between us and our children forever. Then David left, and Jonathan returned to town. Jonathan is our second friendship profile. We're calling Jonathan the keeper, the seer, the keeper. The keeper is one, usually your age and gender. Two, knows your deepest, darkest secrets. Three, always has your back. And four, has your best interest at heart. One of the biggest problems in our culture is that we don't have keepers. Jonathan, his entire life was ahead of him. He was going to be king after his father. Literally the only thing that stood between him and being king was David. All that he had to do was tell David it was safe to come home. Shoot him with an arrow. Decide that he was going to die. And Jonathan becomes king. But Jonathan put the life and the well-being of his friend above his own future. And in our world, we generally do not have people like that in our lives. Instead, we are consistently more connected and at the same time more isolated. And as our culture becomes more isolated, we are the most narcissistic and most depressed culture, they say, in all of human history. Because of our lack of friendship, our lack of true, genuine connection with other people. We need people who can help us carry our burdens. We need somebody who we can go into this life arm in arm because we were not created to do life alone. We need somebody who knows our deepest, darkest secrets. We need somebody who can battle against the secret sin in our lives along with us and support us. We need people that we can confide in who will pick up the phone in the middle of the night and be there for us whenever we need them. We need to have keepers in our lives. Some of us, we're on the flip opposite side of it, right? It's not that we don't keep, it's not that we keep everybody at arm's length because we're afraid of getting betrayed or afraid of getting hurt. It's that we let everybody in. We believe that every person is worthy of our deepest secrets. Every person is worthy of our trust. And we post long paragraphs about things that we shouldn't on Facebook because we just share with the world everything that's going on in our lives. Guys, neither approach to genuine friendship is healthy. They might both need corrected. Neither of them is the way that we're supposed to truly engage with life-giving keeper-type 
friendships. We need these friendships in our lives. And men, we're usually the ones who are without them the most. We struggle in this culture to make genuine connections and build real, life-giving relationships with people. And we become more and more isolated, partially because that's the way the culture has taught us to be, and partially because that is just the direction that everybody in culture is headed. We need people in our lives who have our back and have our best interest at heart. We'll put our well-being and our spiritual lives above and beyond themselves. In my life, I've been blessed with having many keepers Um, for me, some were good and and some weren't good. And you notice that I said they should be the same gender as you. Um, Sometimes that's not the case, and that's not the case in one scenario, the person that you're married to. And I'm not trying to get into a dispute about gender or marriage or anything like that. I'm just saying that there will never be a female in my life that's close enough to me that can be a keeper except for my wife, Jen. She will be the only female keeper I will ever have. There'll never be another woman who knows the secrets about my life, who knows me deeply. There just never will be. However, I do have a lot of guys in my life that serve as keepers. Pastor Alex, our youth director here, our youth pastor here, serves as a keeper in my life and has for many, many years. Some of the guys that are in my small groups, a couple of the other guys on staff here, they serve as keepers in my life, knowing what's going on in my life, supporting me, praying for me, embracing me, and helping me get into those battles against sin that I need to get into. We need a keeper in our life. That's our second profile. Our third one comes from even later in David's life. Now, David is older. He's ruled in the place of Saul for several years, many years, in fact. And his soldiers are off at war, and David should be off at war with them, but he's lounging at the palace. He's sitting at the top of his palace, looking down over the city. And actually, from where David was, the city of Jerusalem, how big it was at the time, he sat at the top of the hill in Zion, and he could look down over all of the rooftops and what was the city. And so as he's looking down over, he sees a woman named Bathsheba who's bathing on her roof, and he notices that she's attractive, and he inquires about her and finds out that she's married, but he calls for her, and she comes to his palace, and he sleeps with her anyway. She becomes pregnant and sends word, and he tries to cover it up by bringing her husband Uriah home from war and sending him home to sleep with her so that he would think it was his child. But he won't because he's an honorable soldier and he won't go and be with his wife when he knows that his fellow soldiers, his fellow comrades, are in the heat of battle on the other side of the country. So David sends him back with a letter that seals his fate, sending to send Uriah to the front lines and draw back from him so that he's killed. David has Uriah murdered and after his wife Bathsheba is done mourning, he marries her and she bears a son for David. During that time, there's a prophet named Nathan who comes and speaks to David and we see that in 2 Samuel 12 verses 1 through 7a. Let's look at it. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but a little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. He ate ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one that he stole for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Nathan is our third and final friendship profile. Nathan is what we are calling the compass. The compass. 
The first thing is the compass will probably make you mad. They will probably make you mad. I am sure, although David mourns and repents after Nathan's story, initially he was a little upset with him. Initially, he was upset with him. Next, has strong personal convictions. Nathan had to have strong personal convictions to the Lord to go and try to convict the king with a story about a sheep. David could have had him killed, which goes to the next one. The third, they're unafraid to hurt your feelings. They're not afraid to hurt your feelings. They care more about your eternal salvation and about your future than they do about your feelings in the moment. They love you that much. And fourth, they're willing to set you straight in truth and love. They're confrontational sometimes, but they're willing to to set you straight. Why? Because they care more about your future than your feelings in the moment. They want to confront you whenever they feel like you're going on the wrong path. Guys, these are the people that you avoid like the plague when you know you've been living how you shouldn't. You stop going around them. You stop talking to them because you know they'll see through your bowl and they'll see through your lies and they'll see through your fake answers and they'll cut straight to your heart because they know what it is that you've been up to. These people who serve as a compass in your life are some of the most important important relationships we have. They will make you furious at times because they're going to be blunt with you. They're going to be straight with you. And sometimes they're not going to do it in a very tactful way, but they love you deeply. They love you so much. They're willing to risk losing a friendship with you so that your life doesn't go off the rails because they want to keep you on the straight and narrow path. These relationships are so important to keep in our life. And there's one person who has probably made me madder and uh, at the same time confronted me. There's probably no one like that more than Pastor Barry in my life. Pastor Barry, I've known for a lot longer than just my time here at New Life. I grew up at a camp, and he was a counselor there for a while, and we co-counseled together. And then in college, I was in a small group that he attended. And then after I graduated from college on Thursday night was guys' night at Permani Brothers, and we went out to there. And there's been many occasions when Barry would say something to me, and I wanted to physically choke him or fight him, anything, like, Dang, you're the worst person. And one time I can remember, uh, Pastor Barry, I had just got done telling him, we were at a guy's night at Permani Brothers, and I was eating a sandwich, and, and I had just gone through a breakup, and I had a buddy who had just gone through a breakup, and I, we were going to move in together, and I said, Yo, we're going to just move in together, we're going to just spend a winter, sad, long winter commiserating together. And uh, he said, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. And I was like, shut up, man. Like, these were my plans, right? This is important to me. You should think this is cool. And now, granted, Barry has probably heard dumber things than that before, but the point was made. My perspective changed. I decided to change my plans. I wasn't going to let what could have been dictate what my future would be like. And it, as it turns out, I would get back together with that same girl and date her again a couple months later, and then I would get married to her in the future. So that's my wife, Jen. Uh, but at the time, man, I was really mad at Barry, but he helped to set me straight in truth and love. Guys, we need people like this in our life. We need to have people who serve as a compass in our lives. So what do we have? We have the seer, the keeper, and the compass. In closing, I want to leave you with this verse from the book of Proverbs because I think it's really important. It's this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. I missed a point. I'm going to go back to it. It's this. It says this. We don't need to only have three friends, but it's important that we have these three. We don't need to only have three friends, but it is important that we have these three. And when we choose these three friends in our lives, it's important to guard our heart. We need to pick carefully, 
Not everybody is a good keeper, seer, or compass. And if you look at the life of David, you'll realize that he picked bad relationships as well. Saul was a manipulator who tried to kill David. Absalom, David's son, was a deceiver who overthrew the throne and kicked David and his royal family out of Jerusalem. David had a close friend that we read about in the book of Psalms who betrays his trust and sells him out to his murderous son, Absalom, although he was one of David's closest companions and most loyal soldiers. He was a fake. In our lives, we don't need to be best friends with everybody but we need to be really loyal and great friends to some. In fact, this message isn't just about choosing the right friends. It's about being great friends ourselves. Are you a great and incredible seer, keeper, and compass for somebody else? See, we can be friendly with someone without letting them deeply impact our lives, but it's also important that we are impacting somebody else's life in these three ways. See, we don't just need to foster good relationships, but as followers of Jesus, we need to be incredible friends ourselves. Once again, this doesn't mean that we need to be everybody's best friend. There's lots of relationships that we can be friendly with without letting them deeply impact our lives, but specifically in these three areas. And guys, there's probably great examples of friendship profiles from the life of Jesus and the life of Paul that we could bring up, but these are the three that I'm bringing up from the life of David. But when it comes to being seers, keepers, and a compass, we need to be loyal and and faithful, fiercely loyal and faithful to those relationships in our life because these three relationships are pivotal to how our life will go and who we become because we become who we hang out with. Which really brings us to our commitment for today. Our commitment is this, I will invest my life in healthy friendships and strive to be the best friend that I can be. I will invest my life in healthy friendships and strive to be the best friend that I could be. This could mean something different for each of you in the room. I'm not really sure. For some of you, you're like, wow. You know, we have a limited amount of friendship connectors in our life. Where there's only so much time in the day. We can only have so many close friends. You can only have one best friend by definition, right? And you're looking at your friends and your friendship connectors and you're like, I got to make some room. I don't have any seers, keepers, or compasses in my friendship group right now, and I can't have any new friends. i got to cut some friends out. And in a couple of months, we're going to be talking about necessary endings here at New Life, and one of those is going to be friendships. It's going to be identifying and ending polluted or unhealthy friendships and removing them from our life. So stay tuned because that's going to be coming up this fall. But you may need to do some work removing some friends from your life this week. You may need to do some work connecting with people. You may need to seek out a new seer, a keeper, or a compass because you just don't have those relationships in your life. But more likely, some of you in here, it's ringing a bell like, I need to be this for somebody else. You have that friend that you've been meaning to stay connected with, and you didn't become a bad friend uh, on purpose, but just it became inconvenient to be a good one. You were too busy. The kids' sports schedules got crazy. You had a lot going on. You moved, whatever it may be. You just haven't developed those friendships. You just haven't stayed committed to them, and you're realizing, man, I need need to be more intentional about the friendships in my life because they influence my life. For many of us in here, this message isn't so much about finding the right friends. It's about keeping the right friends, and it's about being a great friend ourselves. So I don't know exactly what that looks like for you, but I can tell you that if you're searching for friendship, man, this is awesome because in two weeks, we're going to be kicking off small groups here at New Life. Listen, this setting is great. I love coming to worship here, but this is not a great setting for building, making a friend. It's just not. 
It's not. You don't even need to talk to anybody, really, for the first couple of minutes, maybe. This isn't a good environment for that, but small groups are a great environment for that. And so if you're starved for friendship in your life right now, man, pick up this booklet that was on your seat when you came in. Look at it this week. Check out the groups online. Sign up for a group. Find something that meets your schedule. Guys, listen, you, you don't have to stick with one. If you hate it, don't keep going to it. Check out something else. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. You're not locking down anything, right? You're not writing anything in stone, but just check one out because you might just find the friends that you have been longing for this fall. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we have together. I pray, God, that you would help us to develop, create, and be great friends, Lord. I pray that you would help us to bind together with people like David and Jonathan, to have seers in our life leading and guiding us like Samuel. And to have people like Nathan in our life who are willing to convict us, confront us, and set us straight. Be with us this week, Lord, as we seek healthy friendships. In your name, amen.